to Waypoint. My name's Tara and I'm one of the staff members here. We want to take a couple minutes and just update you on some things that are taking place around Waypoint over the next few weeks. First of all, men, First Tuesdays is coming up this Tuesday. They are having a chili and bonfire night. So guys, come prepared with your own chili and we're going to dump that into a pot and have a delicious feast around a bonfire. If you're interested, you can contact me at taratowner at waypointcommunity.com and I can fill you in on any additional details you may need. Next up, we have our Kids Life Double Feature. Moms and dads, if you're looking for an excuse to get away, we are providing childcare. Need I say more? Get a date night on the books for this coming Friday and Waypoint will take care of your kiddos while you go enjoy some time with your spouse. Um, Drop-off is between 5.30 and 6, and you will need to come and pick them up. They won't keep them overnight for you. Need to be back by between 8.30 and 9. There's no cost for this event, but if you feel extra generous, donations will be appreciated by those teens who will be taking care of your kiddos while you enjoy some time together. Sign up with Danielle at DanielleCarrington at waypointcommunity.com if you're interested in this event. Next up, our partnership class is taking place on November 12th. If you are new to Waypoint and you have no idea what partnership looks like, this is a great time for you to come, sit down, and be able to hear the values that we hold here at Waypoint, why we do some of the strange things that we do, and how you can get involved and connected at a deeper level. If you're interested in taking part of that event, you can let Flair know and just shoot him an email and he'll get you on the list. Next up, Christmas is just around the corner, so we will be decorating Waypoint on Sunday, November 26th, right after second service. If you are interested in helping out, we would love to have you come and be a part of the fun time that we have getting the church ready for Christmas. That should be all, but if you are curious as to what else is taking place, check out your bulletin, check out the e-news, you can stop in at the information desk and they'd love to fill you in on other ways that you can get involved here at Waypoint. Why don't you go ahead and stand up and greet one another? Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all safe inside here, and hopefully you're not too wet. Uh, we just want to welcome you here to Waypoint. And this is from Ephesians 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we want to celebrate that this morning by singing the song, Made Alive.
16:33, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world.
for what you've done, that you are the one who overcomes. There's nothing that you can't do. There's no one you can't save. Because of what you did on the cross, we have the chance to be made alive in you, to be made new, that no matter what we've done, where we've been, that you love us and you want to make us like yourself. Give us your life and your power and your grace. And I pray that we would look to you for that and look to you alone. Pray that you would just help us to see what you have for us and all that you have. We just thank you for what you've done. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you could please have a seat.
I hope you listen carefully to that song. Uh, we just started a series just last week that we're calling Mind Games. It's about these hidden battles that happen in the quiet places of our minds that nobody can see. And that song was actually, um, I think, one of those hidden battles revealed. Did, did you hear the kind of stuff that was in there? I'm, I'm searching for something out there and um, he's coming to conclusions. I'm trying to use a candle to chase out this darkness, but he keeps coming back to this central thought, no, nothing's going to save me. And at the, towards the end of the song, he concludes, I think I'm the one who has to save me. And this has put me in a really tough spot. It's that kind of game that we kind of play with ourselves. I've, I've been listening to these songs um, by Linkin Park uh, for weeks now, uh, mesmerized and sad, mesmerized at what's actually in the lyrics. These are lyrics from somebody who deeply feels this stuff. They're not making up some song to sell. Um, he, he's been very vocal, was very vocal for a long period of time about the inner struggles that he had. And um, the reason I'm sad is, uh, I, I told you this last week, in July he committed suicide. And these, these, uh, these words in this song are shocking because you get to see what he was wrestling through. And here's the thing. See, it's one thing to put in a song, nobody can save me now. It's another thing to believe that's true and to act on it. And that's how mind games work. They start as a thought, they turn into an idea, and they become actions, sometimes that shape your lives in ways that you would never imagine. Uh, it's why last week we talked about, in my opinion, the two most important tools in all of this. When you, when you have a mind game, when there's wrestling going on in, inside of you that nobody else is privy to, it's just you having these thoughts, it's important for you to get these two things right. One, you're not alone. God has a desire to be present with you. He wants to be a part of your life, engaged in some way. He wants your conscience to be clear so that as he prods it, his spirit can be heard, engaging you, guiding you. He wants to give you some insight about that thing that you're thinking about. The danger of being alone is that you believe that your voice is the only voice that should be trusted. And there's a problem. What if, what if that thought is based on something that's not true, not accurate? Which brings us to the second piece. God doesn't want you to be alone. You're not alone. But here's the, here's the other thing. He also understands you better than you understand you. He knows how he made you. He knows what he has in mind for you. He has gifts that he's wired you with. He has a really clear picture of who you are. And it's why he wants to be engaged with your life, because he wants to make that clear to you. And instead of supplying us with what's accurate and true and listening to God, we come up with our own standard. And when we do that, we miss out on what's accurate and true, and the consequences become difficult. 
Well, those two things are important. They're going to be important every week that we talk. But depending on the mind game that you're wrestling with, there are other tools that you may need as well. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. We're going to go in a different direction. We're going to talk about a different mind game. And we're going to talk about some tools that you need when you wrestle with that thing quietly on the inside of who you are that nobody else can see. Uh, This morning, we're just going to talk um, about this thing that happens when you make a choice that's not great for you and you know it, or something happens and you become embarrassed by that sort of thing. There's lots of different ways and we're going to get to that. And what happens is the thought enters your mind because of a choice or because of some embarrassment, and the thought starts this way, I should be ashamed. I should be ashamed of that. And and it starts to build. And you know what? Shame is a really powerful emotion. Uh, People will use it as a weapon in your life sometimes, but we use it better. We, we can use it to cripple ourselves. We can use it to shape our lives in ways that you would never believe. And here's what's, here's what's just fascinating. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about the different ways that shame can enter into your life, set up its um, place there in the middle of your heart. But it doesn't matter how it gets there. It all has the same effect. What what you'll see happen when you decide to embrace shame is that you'll become critical of yourself. Everything that you do, the stuff that you think, the attitudes that you have, criticize. And it'll be you criticizing it. You'll be full of fear. You'll be full of worry. You'll have the thought, I deserve to feel this poorly. Or if you're in a terrible circumstance, shame will look at you and say, you earned this. You deserve to feel this badly. And it goes to town. Listen, I, I've uh, been doing this long enough to already know. I don't want you to put your hands up, but I want you to answer this question. How many of you would say, I'm really hard on myself? And I, I know that's most of you. It's, and it's like you're hard on yourself at work, you're hard on yourself at home, you're hard on yourself everywhere, and you're hard on yourself spiritually. When you, have, when you have shame that sets up at the core of who you are, it intends to cripple you. It will. It's why those first two ideas that we talked about last week are so important. It's so important for you not to be alone with your shame. You need to let God enter into that with you. You need to let him have a say about how he views things. You need to make sure that how God views you is understood so that it's not you establishing something that's based on things that aren't true and accurate. But for whatever reason, I've talked to enough people that they've experienced something that's caused shame to begin to form in their heart And instead of inviting God into that, instead of getting a different picture, they camp with it. And over time, the goal of shame is quite simple. It's to condemn you. It's to look at you and say, you're a failure, you're worthless. And in light of that, 
There's a whole bunch of people who go out and try to fill their value up in another way. They try to be perfect. They try to achieve a ton. They, they get stuff. They care about their social status. Also, they can say, I do have value. And all the while, it's not going to work because there's something that's sitting at the core of who you are that's telling you you're worthless and condemned. And maybe you've never used the words, nobody can save me now, but you're acting like it. And this morning, I want to try to find out how we let shame in and then some tools that we can use for the shame that we let into our lives so it can't have a place in the quiet of our mind to do its damage and do its work. Probably the most... um, I was going to say popular, but maybe the the most frequent way that shame gets a start is this. You do something wrong, or you had a chance to do something right, and you didn't. And you look back on that with a sense of regret, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter when that happened. It It doesn't matter when you chose to do what was wrong, or you didn't do what was right. It could have been two days ago could have been two years ago. It could have been 20 years, 40 years. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you look back upon that thing with a sense of regret about how that decision was terrible and how it defined the kind of person that you are. And shame loves that. Shame wants to be able to say, listen, you failed. You messed up. And now it's time for you to own that. And that's where these feelings of, I deserve to feel this poorly, or you've earned these terrible circumstances come from, because shame's in the process of bringing you to a place of condemnation. But I want you to understand there's a different choice that God offers to you. I want to take you to Psalm um, chapter 38. David is writing. David's a man of God who's messed up. He messed up in big ways, too. And he does the same thing. Um, He's writing music. And in his music in these psalms, he's expressing stuff that I think many of us feel. And he's about to do that in Psalm 38, verse 17. He says this, For I'm about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. Have you ever had a moment, it was just a moment, but it felt like the pain was ever with you? Like years later, you can still feel the sense of embarrassment about that wrong thing that you chose to do. Now now here, in the scripture, he uses the word pain. It's a pretty good translation. Other translations uh, translate it into the word sorrow, both really great translations, Sorrow and pain are the natural response that we're supposed to have when we fall, when we fail, when we make a wrong choice. There's supposed to be a sense of sorrow and pain that comes over our lives because it redirects us for healing. It's what happens to you when you get hurt and you go to a doctor and you say, I think maybe I broke a bone because this is sore and it hasn't gone away for a week. 
right? And they look at you and say, yes, we need to put this in a cast. We need to do something about this. That's exactly what's supposed to happen in our lives. We do something wrong or we choose not to do what's right. And there is a sense of pain or sorrow about this that directs us back to the person who can heal us, who can make that right in our lives. And it's a really positive and good thing. But what happens is instead of following the process that God had in mind, we camp out with that pain. We hold on to that sorrow and we carry it. And we keep carrying it. And before you know it, instead of being sorrow and pain, it becomes guilt and shame loves it. It will set up in your life and go to work on you, convincing you that you're a failure. Here's the thing. God had an antidote. He had a process that would start with pain and sorrow, but then it would move to this. In 1 John 1, 9, we're told something really clearly. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is what God says. I was talking to Linda Raimondo last week in the lookout hall after we had um, talked about the different mind games, and I was talking about the number of people in the scriptures, important people in the scriptures, that we knew struggled with internal battles. And it didn't dawn on me until I was talking with her that the reason we know about those internal battles, the reason they're in the scriptures, is because these guys actively went to God. They would tell him, David, I'm in pain that feels like I'm caring forever. I regret that I did this. And there was a process where they were going to God with this stuff. And they were saying, listen, this is true. I did this and it hurt another person. This is true. I did this and God, it hurt you. This is true. I did this and it hurt me. And God says, listen, when people make that choice to confess, I follow it up with healing, and this is how I do it. I forgive you, and I purify you. I clean you up. I take that away. It's nothing that you have to carry anymore. Now, what's, what's awesome about that is that it's awesome. What do you have to do? Just admit the truth. It's, it's why that pain and sorrow is there in the first place. You have to do what David did, what Moses did. You, you have to do what these men of God chose to do. I'm just going to tell you the truth, God. But I've been around church a long time. And despite the fact that this is an incredible thing that God offers on your behalf, I talk to a lot of people who don't do it. They choose not to confess. And as I've looked at why, I've realized there's three big ones. I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons why people choose not to confess. But I, I think I've found three reasons why people just don't avail themselves of this process where you can, get, you can step in and this thing that was a burden is now lifted. And instead, here's what we do. 
Here's, here's the first reason. We don't confess because we wouldn't mean it if we said it. There's a pattern at work in our lives, and we really haven't done anything to change it. We've talked about it, but we haven't put any action into motion. And so the stuff that we keep failing on, we're going to keep failing on because we haven't done anything different to get a different result. And so why bother? Why bother confessing this? I'm just going to keep failing it anyway. But the process of confession is for you to tell the truth to God. And so if you're willing to tell him the truth, then he can get busy on the inside of who you are changing that. But if you're not serious about change, if you're not willing to do the hard work, I guess I can understand why you wouldn't confess. I just think it's a mistake. It's an opportunity for you to invite God into that mess in a way that you haven't done before. He loves you. What he has in mind for you is forgiveness and cleansing. Now the second reason people choose not to forgive or not to confess is they decide that they're going to fix this thing on their own. They know their choice was wrong. They know it was bad. They're embarrassed by it. It's left a scar on their heart. And so they decide with all intent to put as many good things together as possible, and they start stacking it up, and they're covering their heart with all of this good stuff and what they have missed. What they have missed is that at the core of who they are, there's this little rotten place that's growing and growing. And despite all the clean stuff, the good stuff that you might put on top of it, unless there's confession, confession comes with forgiveness and purifying you, cleansing you. It cleans it up on the inside. And until you choose to do that, all of your efforts to be as good as possible to overcome that will fail. And you will become so frustrated because you will pile on all this good stuff and still feel condemned. Feel like you're a failure. The third one, hard to believe. I talk to a lot of followers of Jesus who think this. They say, the reason I haven't confessed is because I don't believe that God can or would want to forgive me. I mean, they, they look back at what they did and they say, listen, this is, this is so big. It shaped my whole life. If I wouldn't have done this, maybe... I would have ended up in full-time service. If I wouldn't have done this, the trajectory of my life would be different. And I think this so messed things up that I'm not sure God can forgive that. I'm not sure God would want to forgive that. And what I don't think you're thinking about is that you haven't considered the extremes that God went, that he went to to give you forgiveness in the first place. His son leaves heaven. Perfect relationship. Leaves that for earth. Puts on flesh and bones. They can get sick, be wounded. 
lives amongst people who disrespect him at every turn. The son of God, deserving all respect from everybody, doesn't get it, ends up being sacrificed on a cross, takes your sin on his shoulders, carries that to the grave, dies, comes to life again, looks at you and says, I forgive you, this is free. Just step into this right now. It's that kind of extreme that he went to. And you conclude, I'm not sure God would want to or can. He can. He does not care how big it is. He does not care how bad it is. He doesn't care about that. He cares about you saying what's true. I caused pain. I'm carrying this sorrow, and I want to unload it, and I want to receive forgiveness and cleansing. And when you choose to do that, it opens you up for the kind of life that you were always meant for. I want you to understand that if you're unwilling, or you think, hmm, I'm not sure that God would really want to forgive me, I would like to suggest to you that the problem isn't with God, that there's a trust problem with you. That you've refused to trust God for some reason to believe that he can deliver on what he says. Because all over the scriptures, this idea that I'm going to pay the price so that you could be forgiven gets communicated. Listen to this. This is Romans 8.1. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation that shame wants to bring about in your life, no place for that. When you find a place with God, when you decide to follow him, and you accept that forgiveness, and the cleansing happens, what he wants to see happen in your life is a sense of freedom, not condemnation. I love how this says it directly, Romans 10, 11. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Do you know how incredible that is? Why is he saying this? Because what Paul understands is that if you will confess that God will faithfully forgive you, will clean you and will put you in a place where you can relate and connect with God. And all of that shame that you've been carrying could be put to death. God says, you were never meant to carry it in the first place. It's not who you are. It's messing you up. And if there is a trust issue between you and God, I'm not sure I can tell you steps to take to find out what that is and solve it. But here's what I would tell you to do. I would tell you to go and look at Jesus. Go and look at what he did coming to earth. Go and look at what he said when he was here. Go and look at what he taught. Go and look at what he said about you and about taking your sin. Go and look at Jesus and then ask yourself, is this somebody who's trustworthy? Because I believe what you'll find there are all the reasons that you need to say, I trust you, and if I trust you, I'm willing to confess 
I know there are people who will look at this and go, hey, um, you can't earn salvation through confession. That's exactly right. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do. What confession is, is your part of not carrying this stuff, of saying what's true to God so that he can do his work. He offers you forgiveness. He wants you to step into that. Confession is you unburdening yourself to God Almighty who will forgive you and clean you and give you a future. This is who you are. The second way that shame enters our lives, and this is gonna be really different than the first way. Um, shame does that, has lots of techniques. Uh, sometimes shame enters our life through how other people talk to us. Sometimes they manipulate us. Sometimes in an attempt to control us, they use shame. Um, I want to try to help you understand how this works. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 6. Um, in Galatians chapter 6, there's two things that Paul says really close to each other that feel like opposites. Whenever you see something like that in Scripture, slow down and take your time with it because there's something important there. There's something valuable there that God's trying to help you understand. I want to read the two things. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, carry each other's burdens. And he goes on to say, this is the way you fulfill the law of Christ. This, this is really important. You, you need to carry each other's burdens. And then he goes and he talks about how you evaluate your motivations and all that sort of thing, making sure that you test them to be right. And then in verse 5, he says this, for each one should carry their own load. Which is it? Should I be carrying their burden or should I tell them to carry their own load? What exactly is going on here? Well, it, it turns out um, there's a tool that you need, and this helps you kind of understand that tool, and the tool is called boundaries. The tool is an, an, it's an understanding of what's your responsibility and what's not. And being responsible for what you're responsible for and being careful not to take up responsibility for something that's not yours because it can lead to difficulty. Here, here's how I know. The word burden in this scripture, the, what, the thing that we're told to bear with each other, that word has a connotation of heaviness. It's a weight to it that you can't get done on your own. So somebody's going to have to come alongside you. They're going to have to help you walk. They're going to have to help you move. It's a, it's a burden that they can't bear alone. But the word load is about the normal responsibilities that you have for your life. You're responsible for it, so carry your load. Here's one way to figure out if somebody's asking you to help with a burden or a load. Generally, what I've found is when somebody has a burden, they're embarrassed to admit it. And when it's a load that they're asking you to carry, they use a guilt trip or shame to do it. They're responsible for that load but they'd like you to be responsible for that load, and so they guilt you 
and you have a decision to make, and here's the choice that people make, and they mess up all the time. They say yes because they're afraid if they say no, they'll feel guilty because the guilt trip was so effective. So they say yes thinking they, they can make the guilt trip go away. But when you say yes to somebody who's trying to control and manipulate you through shame, you've just given shame access to your life. And here's, here's how it goes. You're about to now take on a responsibility that wasn't yours to have in the first place. And that person's going to love having you carry their responsibility. And in fact, whenever that responsibility comes up, you're going to be the one who feels like you need to take care of that. And you're going to feel guilty for not. And shame will condemn you for not being effective at that sort of thing. And instead have, instead of saying yes, you could have said no, but you didn't say no because you thought you would feel terrible if you had to say no. But saying no is about finding the right boundary for what's a burden and what's a responsibility. When it's a burden, when somebody's got something going on in their life that they're not going to get through without you putting your arm around it, go for it. That's who we are. Paul's right. That's, that's how we fulfill the law of Christ in each other's lives, by loving each other. But when you cross over and you accept responsibility, you're harming you and you're robbing them because God wanted them to be responsible for it. You're not responsible for their happiness. You're not responsible for all of their emotions. You're not responsible for every financial decision they make. You're not. And if you're not careful... If you're not careful with the boundaries that you put up, shame will find a way into your life. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter how it gets there, you will be self-critical of yourself. You'll, you'll be full of worry, you'll be full of fear. You'll think, I deserve to feel this bad. I've earned this. And it happened just because you didn't put up a boundary that could have protected yourself from it. Now here's the third. This one's a little difficult. Sometimes people feel shame due to an experience that happened in their life. It could be years ago. It could be a long time ago. Um, an experience that happened or an embarrassment that happened. And here, here's the kicker. Where they did nothing wrong. They didn't do anything. In some cases, uh, they were the victim. Where somebody abused them use them in some way, and they're left with thoughts of, what if I had done this? What if I had said this? What if I, maybe I could have gotten this stopped? Maybe I, and they carry the shame of that situation. Or it could be an embarrassment where a family member does something wrong. Um, you didn't do it, but you're associated with them. And you have this sense of guilt by association. Maybe a, a parent went to prison or, uh, or they had an affair, or they, they blew their lives up in a big way um, for the, all the public to see. And you begin to carry the shame that they don't. The, the person who could have, should have carried the shame isn't. There was, there was no sorrow in their heart to change their direction. 
And now you were left with that, and you've carried it for a long time. And what's confusing to you is you've gone to God, and you've said, I've confessed this, but I can't seem to get relief. And I think the reason you haven't got relief is because God looks back at you and says, there's nothing here to forgive. You didn't do that. You didn't choose that. The part that you chose was to let your identity be shaped by shame. Confess that, maybe. Understand that that's what's happening in your life. But that is not who you are, and that's not how I see you. And there's no boundaries. You couldn't have put up any boundaries. It's all happened. So so the strategies, what do I do, God? I can't confess. I can't put up boundaries. There is one thing you can do. I love this. I think it's beautiful. Jesus is talking to us, those who've chosen to leave sin behind and follow Jesus. And he says this in John chapter 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It might be time for you to step in to the freedom that you were always meant to have to drop this thing that you've been carrying that wasn't yours to carry in the first place. To let God unload that from you because the way he looks at you is free and if you haven't felt free from that, you are missing out on the life he always meant for you. See, shame's tricky. It'll find all kinds of ways to worm its way into your heart to convince you that you have no value, to tell you that you're worthless in God's eyes, that you deserve this sense of despair that you feel. And it's not true. You want to know what's true? God offers you forgiveness. And when he forgives you, he cleans you up. God offers you freedom to really live the kind of life you were always meant to live. God gives you the ability to put up boundaries, to take on the responsibilities that you have to carry, but not to carry anybody else's. And in so doing, live the kind of life you were always meant to live, free from shame and condemnation. Maybe this morning it's time for you to embrace what's true and accurate about how God sees your life and the freedom and the forgiveness that are right there for you to have. Let me pray with you. God, I've talked with enough people to know that these failures in our life that we all have have the ability to haunt us for a long period of time. And instead of following the process that you had in mind, that we would bring these failures to you, make you part of that process, confess, tell you the truth, that we would be granted forgiveness and washed clean God, instead of that, we carry this junk. 
and we've let it shape the way we think. Sometimes the way we think about you. So I ask that you would set us right this morning. That you would enter into these places in our lives where nobody else goes, where we quietly have these thoughts and you would shine the light of truth there. You love us. You offer forgiveness. You offer cleansing. You offer freedom. If we would just have the courage to trust you and to step into the life that you've always meant for us. God, may your spirit do its work this morning saying what's true. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, could you please stand and sing the song, Christ is Enough, with us?
that you took our sin, our shame, and you want to give us life, we pray that we would look to you and you alone, that we would not punish ourselves because, God, you took that punishment for us. You took care of all of it. And I pray that we would be confident in that and that we would live in that knowledge and that grace that you are enough. And I pray that, that everyone here would know you as Savior and know that that is true. God, that you hold nothing back from us. And I just pray that we would live in that confidence and power that you died to give us. I just thank you for all that you've done and for your great love. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out today. I think it stopped raining. It just might beat it.